0: To all the sins of Wisconsin, I'm Fallon, and I'm here with Mims. How are you? I'm doing great. It's beautiful out. Oh my God, so beautiful! I finally got the freedom panels taken off. What is that? Did you see? On my Jeep, there's oh. like the two front panels come off. Oh! So I feel the sun and the wind on my Ooh, way here. mm mm-hmm. Made me very happy.
1: Yesterday was really, really warm too. And it wasn't that sunny, but I was still living for it. My yes. dogs were ripping around, taking a little pond dive. It was really nice.
0: It was so nice. Mm-hmm. But is it gonna be cold tomorrow? It is. And like ruin my joy. Fucking hey. But I guess it'll make it easier to go into work. What? I have a hard time being in the office when it's sunny outside. That's
1: true. Yeah.
0: I like want to jump right through the window. <laughs> I totally got it. I told it. my boss I wanted to work in the parking lot. <laughs> He said maybe we should get a tent.
1: You know, one of those like <laughs> nice little fancy ones. I don't see why that wouldn't work. Yeah. Okay. I have a laptop. Yeah. I will seriously go on the porch one day. And it's... then, I mean, have a hot hotspot. Like, there's no reason why you can't do that.
0: Yeah, I can just open my window, right, and get the internet from inside.
1: Sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm sure, they're all really professional. I'm,
1: the <laughs> office, <but> I'm just <laughs> sitting outside. You're like, what up? Are you here for your appointment? Get on in there. <laughs> <laughs> I can help you solve all your problems. <laughs> Trust me, the lady on the porch. <laughs> lady on the porch. I like that. <laughs> okay, do you got anything?
0: Um, no. No. Okay. No, do you?
1: So, yeah, we got a few things yeah. here. So Ooh, a few things. Yeah. So, You're on the paying attention to life unlike me well slightly. Um, one thing is related to us. so we're going to be doing a, a true crime convention oh, yes. in August on the nineteenth and the twentieth, and I believe it's Champaign, Illinois, which is super cool. It's called Dark History and Horror con. Mm-hmm. Um, and they invited us to, join in which we're super grateful and appreciative that we were included and thought of so shout out to them and then go follow them on instagram too if you haven't already yeah Um, and i
0: was looking it looks like they go into like true crime and abnormal mm -hmm. psychology and stuff too so it's not all just the horror genre
1: right yeah they were just doing like a I think they just did John Wayne Gacy and the tapes that were just released on um, Netflix. Mm. So, I mean, it's definitely true crime related. Um, There will be other people there, too. So, if you're into all things true crime and, you know, you want to go out, you know, to Champaign, Illinois, or you're in the area, stop on by.
0: Yeah. You want to meet us in person?
1: Yeah, because we're um, gorgeous. (laughs) Yeah, Of course. (laughs) Um... I do have a snippet of news. Ooh, what do you have? Okay. So, I didn't know that Michelle Obama had a brother. And his name is Craig Robinson. And him and his wife are taking legal action against a private school in Milwaukee for um, having racial biases. Um, Mm. I, I believe that their son was attending, I think it was a university... University School of Milwaukee in 2016, and they experienced some, you know, comments and non inclusivity. Um, so they are suing them at this time, which I thought was really crazy because I didn't, you know, think that they even knew where Wisconsin was.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're from Illinois, but her brother lives in Milwaukee, or the kid was just going to school there?
1: I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Um,. I, I would assume that they would be living in Milwaukee if their school if their yeah, you know private school is in Milwaukee right so yeah there's more developments going on if you want I got my uh, material from people I know there's more uh, resources out there if you want to dive into that and see what actually happened I know they did a couple of interviews too um, but yeah that is crazy
0: it is. Very interesting.
1: <clears throat> and, like, we're in a new era. Why is this happening?
0: And I think people forget that there's still racism, like, in the city. It's always, like, a small town. That's true. We assume true. that the racism is still in- Ugh, I can't really talk about it. <laughs> racism is in small towns, but it's still in the city. Right. It's everywhere. Yeah, because I heard recently, too, a uh, skating rink in Waukesha made the national news because they weren't letting... Milwaukee teenagers in to skate. So this is their rule. No teenagers from Milwaukee. Uh, what the fuck? So a dad had tried to take his kid there and was turned away because no teenagers from Milwaukee are allowed. However, mm-hmm. this dad believed that it was racially motivated. He was black. Mm. His kid was black. He... Mm got the vibe that this is what it was about and made a post on social media. So a white dad from Milwaukee Mm -hmm. with his teenager thought, well, let me see how it works for me.
1: Okay.
0: And they let him in (gasps) and they said, we make exceptions for some people.
1: Of course you do. I love that. Okay. Shout out to that guy. Yes. Who is like, I'm, I'm going to prove the point that I know that you're making. hmm And he's like, we're not having it. Yeah. I fucking love that. Me too. Yeah. And fuck those guys. Yeah, fuck them. Mm-hmm.
0: I understand, like, you don't want teens at certain hours, unsupervised. Teens with their parents. Right. And I wouldn't segregate, like, Milwaukee teens. No. No teens unsupervised in general. In general. Because some places do that, even around here. After certain hours, you need to have a parent with you. Because there's been fights and drama. Because that's what teenagers do. Sure, sure. All races, all backgrounds. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Teenagers have a lot of hormones and feelings. Hormones
1: are, you know, (laughs) through the roof. Yeah. So just treat everybody equally it's not that hard
0: it's not and if your kid my thought was if your kid wants to go roller skating that's probably not the kid that's out here committing crimes Mm -mm. that they want to spend their weekend
1: fucking roller skating this is why roller skating is going downhill people (laughs) (laughs) it's because of this shit seriously (laughs) so yeah that's basically all i got okay i don't think i have anything okay
0: the Bucks smashed the Bulls today. I got that. I'm a basketball fanatic.
1: Yeah, I can't... Yeah. I, I don't relate to that. Yeah. But okay. I'm here for you.
0: Thank you. hmm I love the Bucks. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I love the Cubs.
0: Okay.
1: They're winning right now, so that's good.
0: That's good. Yeah. I hate baseball.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not that interesting.
0: <laughs> it's, it's not very interesting, no. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Do you actually watch the games?
1: Sometimes, you know, but... <clears throat> If I know they're doing terribly, I'm just like, fuck it. I'm not going to watch this Can shit.
0: you watch a whole, whole entire game?
1: I mean, not continuously, <laughs> but I'll, I'll, you know, glance up and I'll be like, okay, okay. Yes, you're doing things, hitting balls, doing the right things. Okay, cool. Okay. And then I'll, like, go and do another thing and then I'll peep back up. So, yeah, I'm not like, oh, my God, this is happening or I'll, like, I mm. won't slap somebody because of something terrible or whatever, you know, like...
0: Oh, I'm like that about basketball. Yeah. <laughs> I will scream at the TV.
1: Oh, okay.
0: I hate the refs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my God. They're just doing their job, man. They're just. But they're, they're terrible. Oh.
0: <laughs> Sometimes they're terrible.
1: I, all I hear about for the Bucks is Giannis this, Giannis that. And I don't know who Giannis is. Well, but
0: Giannis is amazing. <laughs> see, there you go. It, Giannis my point. is an amazing human.
1: Mm hmm.
0: He's an amazing basketball player. Mm-hmm. He's just great.
1: My friend, her husband is a newly converted Bucks fan. Mm. Um, I don't know how you become a, you know, a basketball fan like in your thirties, like randomly, but it did happen. Hmm. And it's
0: because
1: the Bucks are amazing. It's sure. <laughs> <laughs> and is the kids are like, and Giannis this, and Giannis this, yeah. and I'm like, how do you know Giannis? Like, what? Everybody knows Giannis.
0: Everybody knows. Yeah, he's the MVP.
1: <laughs> You're like, yeah, of the league. <laughs> the last couple of years. Clearly, I'm not with it. So, no, we're gonna have to and move past it.
0: Kind and happy and yeah. Okay. Yep. There we go. Yeah. My kids know every basketball player in the NBA. Really? Yeah. That's a
1: lot. They know I mean, their
0: stats. They know who does what. They know everything.
1: Basketball wow. is a huge,
0: huge thing at my house. <sighs>
1: Man, I would not fit in. No. Well.
0: The girls don't really fit in at my house besides me. I'm the only one obsessed with basketball.
1: Huh. Well, at least everybody is doing their thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, can't remember if it's your turn or my turn. Do you remember?
0: I think it's
1: my turn. Okay. Let's roll with it.
0: Okay. Today I am discussing the case of Amy Yeri. My sources today are wikipedia.org, wifr.com, uh, newschannel20.com, fox11online.com, and fox6now.com. So on November 23rd, 2008, two hunters near Campbellsport, which is in Fond du Lac County, discovered what they described as two legs and a midsection sticking out of a frozen creek.
1: Mm. It's a bad day.
0: Yeah. That would be traumatizing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I've never, you know, come in contact with anything like that, so I'm really grateful cuz I would be scarred. I, if I if I'm traumatized from movies, I can't imagine what I would do if I found something like that.
0: Yeah, me either because when I see things, they like get stuck in my brain mm-hmm. forever.
1: Mhm. Yeah.
0: So when the authorities arrived, they had to chip ice away in an outline around her body, like a chalk outline, but in the ice. (sighs) So this frozen creek was located near an abandoned farm. So if you're on 41 and you take the Mayville-Kewascom exit, it's one of the first remote areas you would encounter off the highway there. Okay. Do you know where that is? No. Okay. Like, if you're going to Milwaukee, okay. you go past Fond du Lac, a mm-hmm. couple exits, there's the Mayville exit. Okay. And it is about a half mile and a half from an adult bookstore. I don't know why they drew that. <laughs> <laughs> They're, like, it's, for they your reference. threw that in there, just like that was an important note. So, I was like, I'm going to keep that in there. Too. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's fair. Maybe a, <laughs> a lot of people are familiar with this uh, adult bookstore, so.
0: Maybe. They didn't say the name of it or anything, so. Hmm. <laughs> They're like, it's implied. (laughs) It's implied. If you know, you know. Yeah. (laughs) So the creek where she was found was about 500 feet from the road, and it crossed over the driveway of the farm. Authorities couldn't determine if this spot was picked because people knew the farm was abandoned or if it's the first convenient location they came across. I understand the whole convenient location thing, but if I murdered somebody... Mm -hmm. And I want to dispose of them. I'd be scared to drive down a driveway to do so without knowing nobody lived there.
1: hmm Yeah.
0: So to me, it was somebody that was familiar with the area.
1: Yep. I agree.
0: Okay. <laughs> we, got, we got this figured
1: out.
0: Yep. <laughs> Once investigators were able to remove the body from the creek, divers began to search the bottom and an autopsy began. Medical examiners determined the body was in an advanced state of decomposition and had been encased in ice. They determined that she had been there for about two to four months because although she was encased in ice, there were also insects in her body already. Mm. So according to the insect person, what's that called? Entomologist?
1: Oh, yeah. I don't know that word. Something like
0: that. Okay. Somebody will correct me. Sure. This means she was dumped there Either in July, August, or September of two thousand eight. And due to the state of her body, medical examiners could not determine who she was. They couldn't determine if she had any tattoos, scars, piercing, or wounds. Mm, there's very little they could determine.
1: Which is really surprising to me because she was basically encased, you know, like she was being because
0: she was there for a few months before it froze. Right. Yep, yep, you're right. So if she would have frozen right away, then she would have been
1: completely like yep. preserved. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. Mhm.
0: So they did believe that she was either white or Hispanic, but they could not say for sure. Damn. All they could say for sure is that she was not African American. Wow, that's not a
1: lot to go on. No, of.
0: they said she could be of mixed race, like white and Hispanic, or okay. they just really couldn't tell because I guess white and Hispanic have the same kind of bone structure when it's just your skull.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah.
0: They could determine that she was between the ages of 15 and 20, making her born between 1987 and 1993. They could also see from her bone structure that she was pigeon-toed or knock-kneed to the point that most people would be able to tell just from the way she walked. Hmm. And her height was between 4'11 and 5'4, and her weight was between 110 and 135, making her... They said average size, but 4'11 seems pretty small to me.
1: Yeah, that's very small. Yeah. I'm 5'1, and I'm considered very small, so... Yeah. That's not ab- I'm not average by any means. No,
0: like my 13-year-old is 4'11 and she's the smallest one at school. Mhm.
1: Yeah, that's incorrect.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so she's
1: short. Yeah, for yeah. sure.
0: And they said her hair was pretty well preserved so they could see that there was, her hair was brown but had some different shades so she had probably gotten highlights. Mm-hmm. However, none of this information was enough to determine her identity. Due to this, her skull and autopsy photos were sent to the Center for Missing and Exploited Children in Virginia, where they used this information to create a picture of her. Okay. I don't know why only the place in Virginia can do this, but they're the ones that do it. Yeah. So if you guys have watched CSI, you know, when they like used information to try to make a picture, composite mm-hmm. image of the person. So they did that for her, but they said. This method has not always been accurate with other unidentified people because people have been identified later and didn't look anything like their sketches.
1: I feel like that'd be so hard to do. Like, this body's decomposed. You barely have... You can't even know if this person's white or Hispanic or whatever else. The eliminated, you know black, but that's not really much to go off of, so I can't imagine them being, like, very descriptive.
0: No. And how do you know, like, how much, you don't know how much she weighs or what her height is, or how do you know, like, how much fat you have in your cheeks or... Right, right. Any of that.
1: Exactly. Like,
0: I give them props for trying. Sure, yeah. But I don't know how effective this is. Mm. So... In some cases, they have said, just like you said, if you don't know what race they are, there's been people who they thought were Hispanic, and then they were identified and they weren't Hispanic, or vice versa. Right, yeah. Because they just don't know. The
1: bone structure's the same, would you just guess? I would... Yeah, (laughs) I guess. They just do the best that they can, but it... I. I don't think it's that effective. No.
0: If anybody knows how you figure out, how you determine, if you don't know which race they are, which race you're going to draw the picture as, yeah. let us
1: know. Yeah. Because I'm very curious about mm, that. Yeah, me too.
0: They were hoping that this and with at least one of her features being told would stand out to someone they knew. Someone that knew her. So they said she had an overbite. It wasn't really bad, but it was enough that it should have been noticeable to people who knew her. Okay. So basically, they're telling you she has an overbite and she was pigeon toed. Mm hmm. And she also had enough dental work done that showed at some point someone cared about her.
1: Right, okay.
0: So she she didn't have any cavities at the time. She had gotten sealants on her teeth. Somebody okay. was taking her to the dentist and right. stuff. Right. And she was wearing a black tube top with a pink bow on it from Family Dollar. That was part of their spring 2008 collection. And I actually had one like this.
1: I didn't know they had collections. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> I didn't know that either, but. And their spring collection.
0: <laughs> it does that does sound very fancy it does. for Family Dollar.
1: Oh, man. They're trying. Yeah. to ours even
0: so close. I don't go to Family Dollar anymore. Fa- I don't know.
1: <laughs> I go to Dollar Tree because I know everything's a dollar. Exactly. <laughs> and that's our two cents.
0: Yeah. And so the bra and panty set she was wearing was also sold at Family Dollar, and that was only sold one time for their spring collection. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it shipped to the store in July of 2008 and was ready for sale within two weeks. So somewhere on the July beginning of August is when the only time that this brown panty set was sold.
1: Okay, so they so can probably had to track have it been down. Purchased
0: then. Yeah, yeah. And she was wearing Angels jeans, which could have been purchased at Kohl's. Okay. And they were rolled up at the ankles. Did you ever have Angels jeans? No, I were don't think you was too young so. for
1: that. I think I was too young. Yeah, <laughs> I was more of a uh, true religion. mm love true religion. Okay, but I mean, I only had like two pairs because that was like a birthday gift, so
0: yeah, makes sense. Mm-hmm. So and she didn't have on any socks or shoes, so they're thinking since it was probably warm when she disappeared, she was probably wearing sandals. Right. And one thing that confused them was the size of her clothing. So she's wearing a size small top mm-hmm. and a 36C bra. Did she stuff? That was exactly my thought. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, uh, size large panties and size three jeans.
1: Size large panties. Ooh, yeah, that's weird. The, the
0: panties. So it seems like the bra and panty set was like somebody else bought it or it was somebody else's
1: yeah well i it I doesn't mean,
0: match your clothing size i
1: i'm small mm-hmm. but i would consider my area my f- f- frontal <laughs> area to be you know voluptuous <laughs> so I, you don't need to be a small in an a cup yeah that's true you could be you know bigger in that area yeah um Without I mean, it I'm being wearing weird, a small top, but right? I'm In the summer, <laughs> you're tighter, you know. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, the top part I could see. The bottom is confusing.
0: Yes, because size three is pretty small.
1: Yeah, that's pretty small, and uh, she's like four eleven ish or whatever. So yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, but why are you wearing large? Because that wouldn't match. No. Unless it was large children's underwear.
0: No, I think they're large women's. women's? Okay. I think it was a set.
1: That I don't know. Maybe
0: the large came with the set? I don't know. <laughs> I'm really overanalyzing
1: <laughs> this section of my story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, Let's get to the bottom of this.
0: So, when she was found, she was not wearing jewelry. She just had an elastic band around her wrist. But... They thought maybe she had been wearing jewelry and had lost it at the bottom of the creek, so they had metal detector people come in and search, and they did find a penny-sized St. Benedict metal, but they couldn't determine how long it had been in the water, so they didn't know if it was hers or somebody else's.
1: I feel like that's just a wild goose chase. Like, Definitely. How would you be able to know it was actually hers? Yeah. There's no way. Mm-mm.
0: So her dental chart and DNA were entered into all possible relevant databases, but no match came up. Investigators could not even tell how she died. They don't know like, if she was murdered, if it was a drug overdose, if it was an accident. Damn, there's just a lot of unknowns. Yeah. And so she was labeled as Fond du Lac County Jane Doe. Okay. Did you ever hear about her? Mm-mm.
1: Okay.
0: It was a big thing in 2008. And then in 2011, December 7th, 2011, they laid her to rest at Cattaraugus Cemetery? Okay. I didn't say that right, but it's close. Yeah. But they didn't give up trying to identify her. Detectives and even retired detectives stayed on the case because they were just so sad that Nobody knew who she was.
1: Right, and, like, so they probably, probably were like, somebody out here has to know her. Yeah. And it probably was really difficult for them to process that nobody was claiming her.
0: Yeah. it's. Have you ever went on NamUs and seen the unidentified people?
1: No, but I feel like that would make me cry for, like, a it's, month straight. It's horrible. Yeah. yeah.
0: There's so many people who are unidentified. So, in April of... April 23rd, 2018, they exhumed her body so authorities could do additional testing, they wanted to create a new image, they wanted to do isotope testing, and this was around the time that Joseph D'Angelo was identified through genealogy. Mm Mm-hmm. So they are like, well, we're going to do these tests. So they did the isotope testing, and that determined that she had lived in southwestern United States for most of her life, somewhere like Arizona or New Mexico.
1: Wow! And that
0: she had only lived in the Midwest for approximately a year
1: okay. before she disappeared. Wow, that's that's crazy that you can find that out.
0: Yeah, you can test the chemicals, like, in your hair and in your bones. Holy shit. Because there's different minerals in each different area of the United States. Yep. Wow. Yes, that's really cool. Mm -hmm.
1: That is, yeah. like
0: nerdy science things. Yeah. (laughs) So, they figured that part out. And then they also were like, well, let's try this forensic genealogy thing. It's been a big hit with other cases. Mm -hmm. We're solving things. Mm -hmm. They wanted to try to determine relatives... That would hopefully one day lead to an identification. And this line of investigation was successful because they got the lady that helped identify Joseph D'Angelo on the case. Okay, well, that's cool. Yeah, Barbara Ray Venter. And she solved a lot of cases. She is magic with genealogy. Gotta love her. Yeah, it's crazy. She was able to find Jane Doe's mother and sister. Wow. And then they possibly identified her from DNA and dental records. Good. In the Fond du Lac County, Jane Doe was identified as Amy Urie. She was 18 years old at the time of her death. She was born on December 9th, 1989. Her family has said that she had spent time in Milwaukee, Beloit, and Chicago in the weeks preceding her death. Her mom said she had called her from Beloit in 2008, saying she wanted to ride home, but her mom was unable to help her due to extenuating circumstances, and no one ever heard from her again. Ugh. And prior to this, she had been living in Rockford, Wisconsin with her mother. Rockford, Wisconsin. Rockford, Illinois. <laughs> I was like, mother. there's a Rockford
1: in here? <laughs> no.
0: No. <it> isn't. <laughs> Reports indicate that she had been transient prior to her murder and they say she was a victim of sex trafficking, but I don't but they don't give any more information about that. So I don't know how they know that she was a victim of sex trafficking and not voluntarily doing sex work.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that
0: part. Mhm. Cuz I couldn't find any information about it. I'm like I want to know more. Mhm. But there's no more to No more public information. Right. Authorities still haven't determined what exactly happened to Amy, and they're still looking for tips from anyone who knew her prior to her disappearance. They said even the smallest piece of evidence could make a difference, because they don't really know how she got there. Right. What she was doing in Fond du Lac County, because this is a rural area in Fond du Lac County. It's Mm -hmm. not like a great place for sex work, I wouldn't think not very populated
1: i don't know people are horny so i guess you can go (laughs) anywhere (laughs) this is true
0: (laughs) while i was researching the case i was like how did no one report this girl missing
1: i was thinking that before but i'm like maybe that's just too obvious of a thing but i don't know because i'm like couldn't they cross-reference people that were reported as missing to yes. say oh okay this is the height this is yes t- that's what they do yeah and there's
0: people like on web Sleuths and other citizen detectives that they do that a lot mm-hmm. they're bored at home watching tv and they go through namis and they go through missing persons and they try to match the people up people do that people do that holy fuck they solve cases doing that
1: wow yeah. what are we doing
0: <laughs> we're saving the world on our podcast okay all right <laughs> i feel better yeah there is people that do that so, I was getting kind of irritated. I'm not going to lie. That, no. Nobody had reported her missing,
1: Right. But, or did uh, they just not look into that?
0: Well, I did a little more research after I wrote my story because it okay. was bothering me. Yeah. And I did find that her sister had created a Facebook page on January 24th of 2014. She had been searching for her sister the whole time. Oh. And... They weren't permitted to report her missing until, I think, 2019.
1: But she went missing in 2016, or she was found in 2016? 2008. 2008. Oh, my God. Yeah. Why? I think because she was
0: transient. Who gives a fuck? Yeah, that's my thing. Who gives a fuck? Yeah. I think the whole thing is tragic. And then there's a lot of tough questions. So, how do you know... When do report somebody missing if they're transient to begin with. Like if you don't have a stable home mm-hmm. and I don't know where you are from day to day, like at what point do you report people missing? How do people determine that?
1: I guess it depends on the the situation because if you know, okay, she is transient, but she calls every Thursday. Yeah, okay. well, she didn't call this Thursday right i should be able to report her missing or whatever like at least get it on the books like hey she's not doing her usual thing or
0: yeah
1: or if this person's pretty erratic of getting in touch with people but you know that they always do within a span of time and they don't then i would be like okay that's enough yeah it wouldn't be years
0: right and I think, okay, if you guys are listening and you're transient, can you just have, like, a dedicated check-in time? Like, every two weeks on Saturday, a, I, I call my mom. Quick text. Or send a text. Yeah. Yeah. Send a Facebook
1: message.
0: Mm-hmm. Post on social media. Do something so people know that you're still okay.
1: And if you don't have a phone, just get a piece of paper. Send a, a letter. That's yeah. That works just fine. Like, I know I would love to get regular mail. I never right.
0: do. I always <laughs> get junk. Yeah. And then my other question was, so, like, in this case, they said they couldn't pick her up, which I get. I guess her mom had car problems or something. Okay. But if you have a family member like this, how do you decide when you stop helping them?
1: (sighs) That is a really difficult question to ask. Right. You don't
0: have to answer if you don't have an answer. But I was thinking about that. I'm like, when do you know that you're really helping them? Or if you're just, like, creating codependency. Mm, Right.
1: Yeah, like, always having that safety net within you for them to be like, okay, well, I'll always get bailed out. Yeah. I understand that, but I'm sure I would feel immense guilt if i knew i could have done something and then yeah. this person ended up dead yeah. i wouldn't want that weighing on me but we all have our limits so right. i'm not here to judge either <laughs> right it's just very like, how do you find your limit yeah know what the limit
0: is because i'm like you i just would keep going and going and going and going to rescue people there's some people in my life that i've rescued numerous times yeah and it's hard to not do it.
1: I guess I would be I would I've been working a lot within my own self of having like emotional boundaries. So yeah. I've I've discovered my emotional boundaries and I think that everybody should. So I guess how much you want to put up with and how much you know that you can without being like this is a constant thing in my head that I keep thinking about and taking over my life.
0: Yeah. That's a good point. Boundaries are important
1: everywhere. Yeah. All the time.
0: Yeah. Agreed. Alright. So if anybody did know her, it would be great if they could let the police know. Mm-hmm. The Fond du Lac Police Department. Fond du Lac County Sheriff's Department. If you knew her, if you saw her before she died, knew who she was around, anything, they need to like piece back together her whole life from the time that she went missing.
1: I'm glad that they're still Invested in her story and trying to figure out what happened because I know a lot of people are like, Okay, she's been identified, what's next?
0: Yeah, because she was just identified recently. Yeah, because it wasn't right away in 2018, I think it was 2021. Oh, wow, just, a, just months ago that she was identified. So once she's identified, then they started going to her contacts like, Who is she with? Who is she hanging out with? Mm-hmm. Because if she was being sex trafficked or doing voluntary sex work, she was going to be with other girls. Probably men. Mm -hmm. Most people aren't just by themselves in a hotel room. It's usually a group thing.
1: Right, yeah. So,
0: somebody knows something.
1: But the thing about that, though, is this community does not like to get themselves involved in this type of thing or even you know, go and talk to law enforcement just because then they implicate implicate themselves. Yeah. So, that's the downside of that.
0: Yeah. But I don't think the police are gonna bust you for sex work. If I hope you not. Go- if
1: you just go in with a tip. Right. I would, yeah, do it I'm anonymous. Sure,
0: yeah, you can be anonymous. Yeah.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Alright. Good story. Thank you. Good story. Lots of twists. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I'm glad that they found out who she was, or is, was, yeah. And um, at least that's resolved.
0: Yeah, her family can have some closure, because it's so hard just not knowing mm-hmm. if somebody's okay, they're not okay, where they are, what's going on with them. Right. Like, you just yeah. have to wonder every day, are they happy, like, living their best life, or they're dead, or they're, like, in a terrible situation.
1: Yeah, that that would eat me up. Yeah, I don't know how I would deal with that. Well, at least there's that. I hope that they get more information. And obviously, if you do have information and you don't feel, you know, safe disclosing it with your name backed by it, just do it anonymously and help bring some closure to it.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Alrighty. What do you have for us today? I have a question for you. Do you know what Norman Bates, Leatherface, and Buffalo Bill all have in common? No they are all loosely based on Ed Gein.
0: Oh.
1: So I know that the story has been told time after time, but this one of Wisconsin's most notorious stories. So we're doing Ed Gein.
0: Ooh.
1: And I know that this story has been told over and over again. Yeah. But this is Wisconsin podcast. It is. We have to cover him. Yes. I got inspired. Um, <clears throat> my husband's co-worker came over and Jake was like, oh, she does a podcast and he goes, oh, Ed Gein, right? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, he killed like a whole bunch of people, right? And I'm like, actually incorrect. So I know a lot of people know about Ed Gein, but mm-hmm. do you actually know what he did?
0: I don't think so. I don't think people really
1: know. I don't think so either. So that's why today we're doing a deep dive. Okay. I'm uh, ready for it. Good. Trapping. Uh I got my sources from Wikipedia, of course. Donate to them if you can. Um, quotes.com. All that's interesting. And people. <clears throat> so, he was born Edward Theodore Gein to Augusta Wilhelmine and George Philip Gein on August 27th, 1906 in La Crosse County, Wisconsin. He had an older brother, Henry George Gein. Um, And I don't know <clears throat> if you know much about his upbringing at all. I don't. Okay. Uh, to me, it's the most important part of his story because it truly shows you who he is shaped to be. Um, so, Augusta was not an ideal mother. She was very controlling, domineering, verbally abusive to everybody in the household, which included her husband, and she was religiously abusive. And you probably are asking, "Why well, no? you're not, but maybe you're asking, how could you be religiously abusive? Um, <clears throat> she did things by the book, and what I mean by the book is by the Bible, so... Mm-hmm. She solely focused on the negative sections of the Bible and talked about death, famine, eternal consequences, just basically, you will get smited, and, you know, just was very negative when it came to the teachings of what she taught her kids, which is not what you're supposed to do. Right. Uh, she taught her sons that the world is full of sin, perversion, but worst of all, she told them that all women were whores or temptresses, all except her. Of course. Um <clears throat> it has been stated that she only had sex with her husband to have children and that it was not enjoyable for her and once Ed was born she did not feel the need to continue with a sexual or even a romantic relationship with her husband any longer so it's just very kind Poor of guy. I know and it, it just seemed like it was kind of like this is what we do it's not for pleasure it's for procreation hmm. um so this form of religion, religious control, and almost brainwashing was not good for them. No, she it's not al- good for anyone. No, no. She also decided when Ed was eight that they would move and uproot their lives from Lacrosse to Plainville, um, as Augusta thought that the area that they were currently living in was too worldly and full of sin.
0: Lacrosse. Yes. <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's very <weird. laughs> happening in Macross. And, like, this was early 1900. Like, he, he was born in 1906. Yeah. What could have been happening there? Like, that was just so um. crazy and lustrous. <clears throat> it's no. beyond me. Yeah, me too. Her religious and verbal abuse did not stop with the boys, as I mentioned before, but also extended to her timid husband, um, who she was not fond of. One might even say that she hated her husband as she would pray in front of the boys and ask God for Jorda's death. So she was open about not wanting him around.
0: And he just stayed there? Yeah. Oh.
1: She hated him for being an alcoholic and going from job to job, and he, as he was a carpenter, an insurance salesman, a tanner, and a tanner means where you tan the hides of animals. Mm -hmm. and even had a local convenience store that he owned until he sold it in Plainville. Nope. Plainfield? Yes. Uh, Augusta was very happy when they moved to the 155-acre farm for one big reason, and it was because it offered the family seclusion from outsiders. And this is how much control she wanted of the family. The home didn't even have electricity. Oh, wow. And this, people had electricity yeah. at this time, so it's not like, oh, it was the Times or whatever. No, she just kept it real old school. Hmm. Was
0: electricity evil? Yeah,
1: I don't know. Maybe it's sinful, I don't know. So Ed and Henry were not really allowed to do much other than go to school and then come home to do chores, Um, She did not approve of friends as they could poison their minds, so they were not allowed to have any friendly hangouts and would even get physically punished if they had asked, oh, hey, can I go hang out with this person or whatever? Like, that was not acceptable. Wow. Kids need to have their own lives. Yeah. Yeah. The only escape that they had was school, and even then... Ed was an outsider. He was deemed as strange and odd as his behavior was abnormal. He would randomly laugh to himself openly in front of other people and classmates, which is not surprising that he was later diagnosed as schizophrenic just because the laughter he would hear was almost like a a reply to things that he heard in his head. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't only seen as abnormal for his sudden fits of laughter or for being a loner, but because he was physically different as well. He had an excess on one of his eyes, which gave him a lazy eye, and he had a speech impediment that made him, you know, an easy victim for bullies. Aww. <clears throat> yeah, so all around was just not great but he did do really good in school and he loved reading um he did really well in his reading classes so that was good at least so on april 1st 1940 ed's father george died of heart failure caused by his alcoholism at age 66 this turn of events was ideal for augusta However, I did mean that Henry and Ed had to start working to help support the family. They both did odd jobs around town to help cover living expenses, and the brothers were generally considered ro- reliable and honest by the residents of the community. Ed Gein was like the local handyman and babysitter, which is weird to know now. So as the boys grew up and started experiencing the world more each one of them reacted differently. So Ed followed his mother's rules and her will. <clears throat> However, Henry started to see Augusta for what she truly was and that their upbringing was not as normal as she, she made it out to be. Right. So even though Augusta was controlling and abusive, Ed really loved her and he was really devoted to her. Henry, on the other hand, was opening up to the world. And started to date and he struck up a relationship with a divorced mother of two and planned to move in with her. And obviously that was a big no for Augusta. Yeah, I like I could just imagine. That was not okay. Like she probably thought that this woman was like the devil herself. So Henry wanted to move on with his life and out from under her his mother's thumb, but feared for her younger for his younger brother he knew how attached he was to Augusta and didn't want to leave him behind and he would talk to Ed about going out into the world and basically talked shit about Augusta and how he didn't have to do everything that she wanted him to do and this was a really big betrayal to Ed and ultimately shocked him as he did not expect for his brother to say all these negative things about her So, on May 16th, 1944, Henry and Ed were burning away marsh vegetation on the property. The fire got out of control to the point that the local fire department had to get involved. So, then Ed went running to meet the fire department for him, for help to find his brother. Because what he claimed was that the fire got out of control, lost his brother in the mix of everything... But what was strange is that he led the firefighters right to Henry's body. Hmm. So apparently he had been dead for some time, and it appeared that the cause of death was heart failure since he had not been burned or injured otherwise. The police dismissed the possibility of foul play, and the county coroner later officially listed asphyxiation as a cause of death. So authorities accepted the accident theory, but no official investigation was conducted and an autopsy was not performed. But there was indication that something did happen because there was bruises on head on Henry's head mm-hmm. that were unexplained. Interesting. So he died of asphyxiation, which can be caused by being strangled or you know, just right. lack of being able to breathe. But then there's no reason why he should have so much bruising on his head. Right. So after Ed and Augusta were left alone, it wasn't long after that Augusta had a paralyzing stroke shortly after Henry's death. Even though he was already devoted to his mother, he became even more invested and took care of her. She later died on December 29th, 1945, at the age of 67. And we can all assume Ed took it very hard and was devastated by her death. Um, Basically, his world was no more. Right, because he never had any life of his own. Yeah. And what Augusta didn't realize is that the way she raised her children had some serious consequences. Yeah. Uh, She made Ed emotionally dependent on her. She made her beliefs his beliefs. She sheltered him from the world. And Mm -hmm. with all of that people get fucked up. Yeah. So it's not surprising. No. So he continued on li- living on the farm and tending to it and supported himself doing odd jobs and then sometime between 1946 and 1956 he also sold an the well, a 80 acre parcel of the land that he already had that was owned by Henry just to keep him going. <clears throat> the sight of his mother's things crushed him so he boarded up the rooms used By her the house went to shit right away so nothing was ever clean he was living in filth however the rooms he boarded up were left in pristine condition Mm -hmm. so he basically couldn't look at it but also didn't want anything to be destroyed or like Mm. altered there So, this is when he really let himself go, and it seemed like the rigid structure that Augusta imposed was the only thing that was keeping him together. He became interested in reading pulp magazines and adventure stories, but mostly it involved cannibals or Nazi atrocities, um, studying human anatomy, and he enjoyed reading about different experiments that specific Nazi war criminals would conduct involving the removal of skin. Yeah, he, and he never pursued women, and he was never considered a threat in the community. So when this all happened, there was no red flags really. Yeah. Unless you went into his home, then okay. you would see like the filth and like what he was actually into. So let's fast forward to the morning of or er, of November sixteenth, nineteen fifty-seven. Ed went to the local hardware store for some antifreeze for his truck. He had asked the owner, Bernice Warden, to bring some out to him. And after doing so, he asked to see a gun that was hanging in the window. Uh, As she came out with the gun, things turned into something that was unexpected. So a Plainfield resident reported that the hardware store's truck had been driven out from the rear of the building at around 9.30 a.m. So Bernice's son, Deputy Sheriff... Frank Warden entered the store around 5 p.m. to find the store's cash register open and bloodstains on the floor. And Frank seen a sales slip for a gallon of antifreeze that was the last receipt written by Bernice on the morning of when she disappeared. That same evening, he was arrested and uh, he was arrested at a grocery store and then they went to go search his farm. Many people know this story, but I still feel the need to brace everybody for what is about to come. So this is your warning. Um, So a Worshara County Sheriff's deputy, while searching the farm, went into the shed on the property. So then he discovered Bernice's decapitated body. She was hung up upside down by her heels with a crossbar at her ankles, and ropes at her wrists. And she was described as being, quote, dressed out like a deer. And I know many of you are not hunters, so let me explain what that means. It is a process of removing the internal organs and basically just getting them all out so that they can be preserved. Mm -hmm. Uh, She had been shot with the .22 caliber rifle, and that's the one that he had asked to see. The only silver lining in this tragedy is that she did not endure any of the horrific things that were done to her while she was alive. She, he made sure that she was dead um, for when she was shot and then slit her throat too just to make sure that she was really dead because he didn't want her to suffer. His motive was not the killing. It was what he did after the body. So as I said Um, this, have you watched Silence of the Lambs? Yeah. So that's my all-time favorite movie. Um, and they have a quote in that movie that says, when they're trying to track down who Buffalo Bill is, um, Dr. Lecter was like, no, that's incidental. What is the first and principal thing he does? What need does he serve by killing? No, he covets. That's his nature. And how do we begin to covet Do we seek out things to covet? Make an effort to answer. So that's what he does. His satisfaction was not that of killing, but what he got from the killing, which was the body parts. Right. So let's go into what the investigating officers found in the home. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Okay. Let's go through the whole list of what was found. Um, so there was human bone, bones and fragments, a waste basket made of human skin. He fashioned, yeah, it's, it's only going to get worse from here. He fashioned several chair seats out of human skin, um, skulls on his bedposts. female skulls, some with the tops sawn off, bowls made from human skulls. A corset made from a female torso, skinned from shoulders to waist, leggings made from human leg skin, masks made from the skin of female heads. Um, They also found another resident of this area, Mary Hogan's face. Um, It was actually a face mask at this point, was found in a paper bag, Um, her skull was in a box, Bernice Warden's entire head in a burlap sack, her heart was in a plastic bag, um, and then nine vulva in a shoebox, and for the men who don't know what that is, it's the outer part of a woman's genitals, um, a belt made from female human nipples, Four noses, a pair of lips on a window shade drawstring, a lampshade made from the skin of a human face, and lastly, fingernails from female fingers. All of these artifacts were, if you can even call it that, were collected as evidence and photographed at the state crime laboratory, and then decently disposed of. I don't know what that means. Um, I hope they burned it, but that would probably smell horrific. Mm -hmm. Um, And anyone can really see what was all inside of the house to this day because they took extensive pictures of it. Ugh. So, while in custody, investigators wanted to question him for the murder of Bernice and for everything that they found on the farm, because that is questionable. Definitely. Um, Before he would say anything... Can you... Do you know what he asked for? Mm, I have no idea. wasn't an attorney. He asked for a slice of apple pie with a slice of cheese on it, which grossed me out even more.
0: Yeah, that's weird. And why? I don't know.
1: I don't know. Like,
0: who eats that? And how is that what you're thinking about when you're...
1: He's probably like, I'm, I'm a little hungry, so I, I'm going to need a snack before I dive into this whole mess. I guess. He knew it was going to take a while to unravel. Yeah. So once he was stated, he told investigators that from 1947 to 1952, he defiled graves. He made as many as 40 nocturnal visits to three local graveyards to exhume recently buried bodies while he was in a, quote, days like state. Hmm. He claimed that many times he would just come to in the middle of the cemetery and not knowing what was happening, so he would snap out of it and just go home empty-handed empty-handed because he just didn't know what he was doing there.
0: Interesting.
1: Which is understandable because he kind of he was diagnosed as being schizophrenic, so I don't know if that has a tie in to what he was doing or not, but I, I wouldn't see why not. Yeah, it sounds like
0: he was like disassociating. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a symptom of schizophrenia or not.
1: You're right. So the reason he dug up the graves of recently buried middle-aged women was because of the thing I mentioned earlier that he was royally fucked up by his mom and developed mommy and attachment issues. Yeah. He thought it would make sense to gather body parts from these graves, bring them home, make a construct of his mother so that he can always have her around. The difference between the 1960 movie Psycho is that Norman Bates wanted to be his domineering mother after she died. Ed Gein, however, wanted not to be his mother, but to have her around forever. The rest of the body parts that were not needed for the suit he was making to reconstruct his mother were then tanned and made into other paraphernalia, which was found in the home, as more of decoration. He admitted to stealing nine graves from local cemeteries and led investigators to their locations. He was very calm during this entire ordeal, and very mild-mannered. So, he was just like, yep, this is what I did. Um, I'll show you. Very polite. Which is, you know, he was always considered to be trustworthy and reasonable and dependable. So, that's not shocking. I don't
0: think people realize that about, like, murderers either. They can be perfectly normal. Mm-hmm. 99% of the time. And mm-hmm. kill people the other 1% of the time.
1: I have mixed feelings about this guy because, um... I don't think he's the worst of the worst.
0: No,
1: uh, because he did kill two women. Officially, mm-hmm. he didn't go on a rampage. I'm right. not trying to excuse his behavior, but right. people think of him as like vile, which he is. He is vile in his own right. way, but he's not. I don't know the night stalker. You right. know, yeah. he, he he didn't wasn't want trying to-, to terrorize people. Right, he didn't want to. Rape, he didn't want to kill. He it was just he was coveting, you know, he yeah. wanted to get the things that happen after somebody dies. Yeah, so Alan Mowski of the state crime laboratory participated in opening three test graves identified by Ed. The caskets were inside wooden boxes, um, and The test graves were exhumed because authorities were uncertain as to whether Ed was capable of single-handedly digging up a grave during a single evening, but it was true what he did because, as we all know, like all the body parts came from somewhere, and there was a bunch of them where he would go back to return jewelry because he wasn't in there to steal you know people's belongings he was there to steal body parts so he would go and return the jewelry that he didn't need or want um which left evidence of him actually being there so he didn't like disturbing the graves he didn't like killing he even didn't like the smell and was quote that was the reason why he didn't have sex with the bodies because he stated they smelled too bad during state crime laboratory interrogation, Ad uh, also admitted to the shooting of the shooting death of Mary Hogan, um, who was a tavern owner that was missing since 1954, um, and uh, she was later found in his home. During questioning, so, there is an assault that happened towards Ed by one of the sheriffs there. He was his head was banged against a brick wall because they were getting so frustrated with him. Mm. So as a result, Ed's initial confession was ruled inadmissible, which is rightfully so, you can't go around bashing people's heads. Right. So that sheriff died of heart failure at the age of forty three in nineteen sixty eight before the trial. It was believed that this case traumatized him and this, along with the fear of having to testify about assaulting Ed, causes death. And it was claimed that he was another one of Ed's victims, even though Ed never laid a finger on him. On November 21st, 1957, Ed was arraigned on one count of first-degree murder in Washera County Court. Um, his plea was not guilty by reason of insanity. As I mentioned before, Ed was diagnosed with schizophrenia and was found mentally incompetent, leaving him unfit to stand trial. The proceeding judge agreed, and he was sent to Central State Hospital for the Criminally Insane, which is known as uh, Dodge Correctional Institution. He was later transferred to Mendota State Hospital in Madison. In 1968, doctors determined Ed... Was mentally able to confer with counsel and participate in his defense. So on November 7th, 1968, the trial officially began and lasted only about one week, which is really surprising. Yeah. A psychiatrist tested that, testified that Ed had told him that he did not know whether the killing of Bernice Warden was intentional or accidental. He stated that when he had asked to see the gun, he thought that the gun went off on its own, which ultimately killed her. He testified that after trying to load a bullet into the rifle, it discharged. At the request of the defense, Ed's trial was held without a jury, and then presiding judge Robert H. Gulmer found Ed Gein guilty on November 14th. However, a second trial in regards to Ed's insanity after testimony was provided by doctors for the prosecution and defense to which uh, Judge Glomer ruled Gain not guilty by reason of insanity and ordered him to be committed to Central State Hospital for the Criminally Insane. So the judge wrote, due to prohibitive costs, Ed was tried for only one murder, that of Mrs. Warden, even though he admitted to killing Mary Hogan as well. Hospital officials stated he was a model inmate and he seemed to have been better assimilated to the structure that was provided by staff in the hospital in general. It seems as if he was so conditioned by his mother to be told what to do that he functioned better that way. Yeah. Uh, Probably he never had to make any decisions for himself. Yeah.
0: That's so sad.
1: So... As we know, as soon as his mother died, he was left all alone and then that's when shit started really hitting the fan. Yeah. He became a grave robber, a murderer, a hoarder, just kind of a cretin really.
0: Yeah.
1: And was just becoming more infatuated and interesting in really disturbing things. And it it could have been you know, his genetics because of what he was going through with schizophrenia and being mm-hmm. untreated. Yeah. And um, his mom.
0: <laughs> yeah. And just never being in the real, like, a part of the real world because she always sheltered him and,
1: yeah. If you take a look at some of the pictures, you could just see the the chaos that was in that house. It was... And that's a common thing with schizophrenia right like there's no i i think he was doing better with all the structure even though it wasn't good structure
0: we all do better with structure (laughs) yes (laughs) just not not that structure structure.
1: Yeah. so the geene farm sitting on uh 190 195 acres was appraised at um only four thousand and seven hundred dollars which is equivalent to 44000 as of 2020, or 2021. But knowing this market now, it probably doubled because this At is... and It's crazy for that much land.
0: Right.
1: His possessions were scheduled to be auctioned on March 30th, 1958, but rumors swirled that his house would become a tourist attraction to which the locals were not... Extru- they were not happy about it. They were extremely upset. Right. Um they did not want their small town being flooded with strangers day in and day out and then there were small town people. Mhm. And it's uh, a creepy
0: town. I have never no been. Offense, plain people people,
1: but I have never been, but I mean this happened and then that girl that made her boyfriend kill himself happened. So Not a lot of good things going on. Oh, it just has a really weird energy. Mm. So, and, you know, they were also embarrassed about everything that happened, too. So they didn't want to just be known for that either. Right. So not surprisingly, on March 20th, the house was destroyed by a fire. A deputy fire marshal reported that a garbage fire had been been set 75 feet from the house By a cleaning crew who were given the task of disposing of refuse, uh, that hot coals were recovered from the spot of the bonfire, but that the fire did not spread along the ground from the location of the house. So, arson was suspected, but the cause of the fire was never officially determined. I'm sure. (laughs) It is possible that the fire was not considered a matter of urgency by none other but Fire Chief Frank Warden, the son of Bernice Warden. Mm-hmm. Keane's last victim. Yeah, I went to rush over there. Either if I would yeah, be him. like, "Burn, baby, burn!" Seriously, uh, I'm sure that he did not want his mother to be re- remembered as one of Ed's victims and have you know people go and see part of her body there as a tourist attraction. Yeah,
0: seriously, that's
1: that would be terrible. Mm-hmm. So then, word made it to Ed um, about his home burning down, to which he shrugged and just said, "Just as well." <laughs> so nonchalant Dad. yeah um so ed's 1949 ford sedan which he used to haul the bodies of his victims was sold at a public auction for 760 dollars which is equivalent to seven thousand and a hundred dollars as of 2021 as well Uh, to a carnival sideshow operator named Bunny Gibbons. Bunny then used the car as an attraction and charged 25 cents admission to see it. (laughs) Um, I lost my place, I'm sorry. Okay, Um, so then Ed Gein died at the Minota or I'm sorry, Mendota Mental Health Institute due to respiratory failure, secondary to lung cancer on July 26th, 1984, at the age of 77. He was then buried near his parents and brother. However, over the years, people would visit his grave and chip away um, of the stone head as a souvenir. Ultimately, the entire stone itself was stolen in 2000. It was recovered in June 2001, and it made its way all the way near Seattle, Washington. Oh my God! And it was the weirdest. Shit. I know. I was like, what are you gonna do with that? I don't know. Um, so then it was brought back and placed in the storage unit at uh, Washara County Sheriff's apartment, which you know just probably deters from people going and vandalizing in the area. Yeah. Um, so the gravesite itself is now unmarked, but it is not unknown. So Ed has inspired Hollywood on many films, as mentioned before, the movie Psycho, uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacor- Massacre, um, my all-time favorite movie Silence of the Lambs. If you haven't watched that one, what the fuck are you doing? Seriously. <laughs> and there's even a band called Ed Gein. And yes, I am too scary to listen to what type of music they are putting out into the world, so I don't know what they what they play. Yeah, that's weird. And that is the story of Ed Gein, also known as the Butcher of Plainfield or the Ghoul of Plainfield, and I thank you very much for bearing with me. It just had to be done. Good job. Thank you. Excellent. That was a lot. Was. <laughs> a lot of info. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, a lot of people have misconceptions of what he did. kill killed a million people, I think, is what people think is
0: everything that they found in the house was from somebody that he killed. But he yeah. was a grave robber.
1: Right, exactly. And a lot of people kind of compared him to uh, Willie Pickton, the pig farmer from Canada, um, just because of the farm and the They were complete... op. I wouldn't say complete opposites, but they were very, very different where Willie Picton, you know, brutally murdered people and then sold the meat and pig meat combined to people. Mm -hmm. This person was just disturbed and needed medication and did better in, you know, a structured mental hospital. Yeah. Quite different. Quite
0: different. Don't... uh shelter your kids and force
1: them to follow weird religious beliefs. Yeah. Yeah, that's all we ask. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for uh, hanging with us for this one. Uh, I know that like I said before, it's been talked about a lot, but hopefully you learned some new things about Ed. If you didn't already, then we're still glad you're here. Yeah.
0: We love you guys.
1: We love you. And make sure to do all the things that we ask you to do every week. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Follow us on social media at allthesinsofwisconsin, which is WI. Mm -hmm. And you can email us, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: allthesinsofwi at gmail.com. Correct. Tell us whatever kind of stories you want to tell us. We love to hear it. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: You just tell us how great we are. We love that, too.
1: We do love that. (laughs) Um, Rate, review, subscribe if you can and if you know how. Um, And like we said before And we'll say it again And we'll never stop saying We love you Yes we do
0: Bye 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 All the Sins of Wisconsin Was written, recorded, edited And produced by Fallon and Mims Thank you so much to all of our listeners Supporters, friends, and family That continually allow us To do what we love
1: if you love our show as much as we love you, please give us a glowing rating and review. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see what we are up to. And email us your sinner tales at allthesinsofwi at gmail.com. Episodes of All the Sins of Wisconsin are available for free
0: wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't, don't forget, forget, we love, love you. you.